This is Behind the Curtain at LA Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. On this edition of the podcast, I'm joined by mezzo-soprano Elizabeth DeShong, who will be singing the role of Rosina in L.A. Opera's production of Rossini's The Barber of Seville. DeShong tells me her journey to the opera stage began earlier than you might imagine. They could hear me making noises before I was born, and they said my lips were actually smacking, so I think I always had something to say. I just needed to get out and find an outlet for it. Elizabeth DeShong and I will also talk about Rossini's strong female characters and the importance for opera singers of being able to play the piano. It's all ahead in my conversation with Elizabeth DeShong. This is your Los Angeles opera debut, so first of all, welcome. Thank you. And uh, how is it so far? Oh, it's wonderful. I've found everybody working here to be so welcoming, and the process of putting the piece together has been a lot of fun. Great colleagues, great staff. Couldn't ask for any more. Being in Los Angeles in February okay with you? Well, it's a nice break from the weather in the East Coast, I must say. This is uh, part of a trilogy of Beaumarchais operas that are being presented here at LA Opera, and so we're sort of steeping ourselves in the work of Beaumarchais. What's it like to be a part of um, of this three opera uh, series? Well, I'm excited to take my part as Rosina and present her story. Um, I saw the dress rehearsal of The Ghosts of Versailles the other night, and I loved every moment of it, I must say. So it's exciting to be a part of that in any way I can. Tell me about your journey to opera. Um, when did you first start singing? When did you first discover you, you had a voice and an inkling to want to be a singer? You know, I don't think there was a time in my life where I wasn't singing or making music somehow. I think I just kind of came out making music. And, I mean, this might be too much information, but they could hear me making noises before I was born, and they said my lips were actually smacking, so I think I always had something to say. I just needed to get out and find an outlet for it. Um, So I was always singing, and I studied piano for a long time, and I did both side by side. I thought I'd be a pianist. I found wonderful teachers. I found teachers in middle school and high school that recognized that I had something to offer vocally, and they started me on the right course of training that led me to Oberlin and then Curtis and onward to Lyric Opera of Chicago's Young Artist Program, and here I am now. So it's just always been a part of my life, and luckily people gave me the quality of education that enabled me to have a base that could support opera and this career. Mm -hmm. I would imagine being a pianist helps. Whenever I'm asked um, by parents or young singers, what can I do to aid my training? I say, take piano lessons. Take piano lessons before you take voice lessons. I learn scores myself. I sit down at the piano. I go through the rules myself. I can play all that. So I have a really thorough understanding of what's supporting me in the orchestra and, and where that leads. And I, it saves you a ton of money in coachings, for one. <laughs> I mean, as yeah, a, a side yeah. bonus. But it just gives you that deeper understanding of the music and... That's invaluable. I'm, I'm so grateful every day for that training. Mm-hmm. In the a few interviews that I've read with you, profiles mm-hmm. of, of you, you've, you've talked about um, 
competition in the opera world and, and a competitive drive. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is that for, uh, for opera singers to have sort of a, a bit of a, a competitive streak? You, you talked about opera being sort of the Olympics of yeah. singing. I think, and I think ultimately it's not, com- it's not competition, I'll clarify. It's not competition with other singers. It's mm-hmm. competition with yourself mm-hmm. to just do a better job than you did the last time, to have that mm-hmm. in you, to, to want to be your best at every moment. It's such a tough job. I mean, you, <laughs> so little of it in the end is actually on stage in costumes and lights and applause. Right. You know, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of gritty business that happens on the other side of that. And you just, you have to love it so much and have, just have that inner drive to push you through and, and make it worth it. It has to be for you in the end. As much as you love to give and share with your audience, you have to just push yourself through it because you have to be your own number one supporter. There's a lot of alone time on the road and on stage, it's you. You have to hold up your end of the bargain. As you're saying this, I, I'm thinking, yeah, there's so many parallels between athletes, what athletes Absolutely. go through in training. If you're not in physically excellent condition, the top of your, your health and ability, you can't do your job. and you know, you can't really, in, in these days of video and everybody's a critic, everybody leaves the audience at night and heads straight to Twitter, heads, twi- <laughs> heads straight to Facebook, everybody's a critic. So you can't afford to have an off night. I mean, there's very little room for error. So in the sense, every night has to be your best night. Hmm. I would think that there's a, a fine line to walk in how you approach that because yes you want each performance to be better than the last and they won't be perfect yeah. you know it, it's not about perfection you know you can't and you can't beat yourself up over mistakes right. because honestly i don't like just like i don't want to hear a recording that's flawless i want to hear the humanity in it and i want to bring that because that's what people relate to you know so if i see someone who's giving all of what's inside of them emotionally to their character if there's a note that's off if there's a pitch that's down I don't care as long as I know they're giving every ounce of themselves and 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 that's what matters and and that's what we try to bring. So the character of Rosina in in this opera this is sometimes we forget because this came after Marriage of Figaro the action takes place before Marriage of Figaro. Mm-hmm. This is Rosina very early on in her life. Do you think about the arc of her through Barber into Marriage of Figaro or do you think of this just in its single work? I really do think of it just in its single work. I mean, it's nice to then be presented with with the rest, but for the purpose of my character, I have what's in front of me, mm-hmm. and that's what has to drive me. I have to be in that particular moment and live that and bring that to the stage. Mm-hmm. Tell me some things you love about this character. I Not just for Rosina, but in Rossini's comedies and his women, especially Rosina and Angelina, the two that I'm most familiar with, it's easy on the outside maybe to say, oh... It's a poor girl, a victim of her circumstance. Oh, poor her, isn't she cute? You know, you can really put her on the surface. But that's not who they are. His women, Rosina especially, are bright. They're so smart and so funny and so capable. And that's what I love about them. You know, they're not just a decoration on stage. They are the women that are motivating the whole story. As much as Figaro is given credit for manipulating the situations... Rosina has thought of everything he thinks of kind of just ahead of him, really. You know, and I think his women always know that they'll escape their circumstance, that it's just an obstacle for them. It's not the end. And that makes them strong. And I I love that about Rossini's Mm -hmm. females. 
Yeah, it seems like a lot of female characters um, in operas from this time don't have that depth. They're, they are one-dimensional. And so maybe it's almost we're just sort of conditioned to think like, oh, yeah, here's another one-dimensional female character. Yeah, and I think any voice type can be strong. But he wrote these really for contralto. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think there's a reason for that. I think there's sort of a, a depth and strength of tone that lends itself to the weight of who they are internally. I think mm. that that was purposeful. Not that it can't be wonderful sung by a soprano, but I think there's a reason for that. And they're really strong women, and they should be played that way. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting point about um, the role being written for a contralto. Yeah. Oftentimes we also think, like, well, that's who he had to write for. But there's more intent there, you're saying? I think so. Yeah. I absolutely think so. Yeah. I think it lends the color, and then through that color, the intention of character that, that he wanted. Thinking about this role as a contralto mm -hmm. or a soprano role, sometimes sung as a soprano, mm -hmm. how many options are there available for these roles? You put it up a key and then it's a soprano one. I mean, and, and anybody <laughs> can add as many runs and notes to the pieces they want. Although I did read a quote just recently where one of Rossini's leading ladies um, added a lot of embellishment to Una Voce Poco Fa, and, and he's like, oh, that was lovely, who wrote that piece? Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I think we have to remember that. This might be slightly off topic, but I think a lot of time the tendency is to, to add a lot and make it something that it isn't when really what's right in front of you is, can be enough if it's used properly. So I'm, I don't know, that's my So opinion. you're more, a little bit more of a minimalist on adding ornamentation? Um, yes, I add it where it makes sense to me character-wise, mentally, storyline, emotionally. I don't, for me personally, I don't advocate adding it just for sheer vocal glory. Mm -hmm. I think it has to make sense. It has to come within the context of telling a story and sharing what's inside. If it does that, fine. That's what I look for, though. That's how I handle it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> these, uh, these roles must be a lot of fun to sing with, with with all of these runs and mm -hmm. with, with the ornamentation that you get to do yeah. and the stuff that you add, mm -hmm. um, is it, does it sing well? Does it, does it feel good in the voice to sing these roles? Yeah, it does, it does for me. I mean, I, I've been fortunate. Um, that floridity comes naturally to me. Mm -hmm. It's not something that I have to kind of labor on. So in that sense, it is fun for me. It can not be fun <laughs> if that stuff doesn't come naturally mm -hmm. to you. Um, but, but for me, it's a lot of fun and that it speaks to sort of the energy, the, the sort of the bubble and fizz that Rosina has inside and all of these characters have inside in Barber of Seville, that just that excitement and it holds from beginning to end. And I, mm -hmm. it makes for a, an exciting night in the theater, I think. Yeah. What's your favorite part about opera singing? Is it when you first walk out on stage, that initial jolt that maybe having a, a full house gives to you? Is it uh, the applause at the end? Is it the work that goes in beforehand, maybe? I think it's just the, in a way, well, that's a tough question to answer, really. This will sound strange, maybe. I think it's just the accomplishment of it. It is all the work that goes in. It's all of the sacrifice off the stage that goes in. And then getting to the point where you bring it to people and you can share it. You know when when you're connecting, and that's not necessarily the first moment of the piece, and it's not necessarily the end, but you find it. You find those moments on stage where you know your audience is with you and that they're listening, and then you know you're doing your job, and, and at the end of the day, that's, that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. 
I can see now that you're saying that, I can see like, oh yeah, that sense of accomplishment, that's, that would be the thing. Like for me, if I had spent, you know, however many years of training, yeah. first of all, then learned the notes, then learned the text, then I got to be an actor, like all of these things combined is like a huge... <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you don't, you don't get any medals for it, like the Olympics, you know? <laughs> you just go on to the next one where you put all the same amount of work in. You know, we could all we could all be surgeons by now with the amount of education that we put in, but we just have to do it. It's, you know, it's a calling. I, it's not for glory or, or money or anything. It's, it's because we have to, I think mm. that those of us that, and I'm, and I'm still sort of in the early stages of my, of my career in a sense, you know, but I think those of us that stick with it, that end up with it, it's, it's because we have to, there's nothing else that we could see ourselves doing that would, give us the same kind of satisfaction, I think. Where are you headed from here? What's next? Oh, yeah, what's next? I, <laughs> I looked at my calendar the other day, and I'm like, well, I'm not home. Um, next is um, Elgar's The Kingdom in the Netherlands, and then um, some, so concert work is next, and then I head off this summer to um, Aix-en-Provence Festival for um, Britain's A Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm. So that's my next opera engagement. There's Mozart Requiem in between, and then um, also in August, I do my first Baba the Turk in concert at Edinburgh Festival with cool. Sir Andrew Davis, so that will be exciting. Yeah. I try to keep my repertoire varied. Do you like doing the concert stuff too? I absolutely do. When I started out, I thought, oh, if I could just make a career out of all concert, I'd be happy. You know, <laughs> I, I love this. I love just standing there and connecting with people and not having to deal with all of the costumes and the running around, but that that's changed. That's changed. That that. That changed with, I think, just more experience in being out there. Um, and you do, you start to kind of create a family with the artists that you that you work with, especially at a certain level. There's, you see a lot of the same faces just all over the world. So you kind of like staying in touch with that family. So opera makes that happen. Well, thank you so much for your time. We're looking forward to this run. No, thank you very much for having me. Mezzo-soprano Elizabeth Duchon sings the role of Rosina in The Barber of Seville by Joaquino Rossini on stage at L.A. Opera February 28th through March 22nd. Duchon stars opposite Rodion Pogosov as Figaro in a performance conducted by L.A. Opera music director James Conlon. You can get tickets and more information right here at laopera.com. This is Behind the Curtain at L.A. Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. ¶¶